Hello, I'm Merrick Schneider. Welcome to this podcast of articles from the Wall Street Journal, a presentation of Airs LA. You are listening to this recording, which is provided for the use of those who are blind or print impaired. Materials or items read on Airs LA are the copyrighted property of the original authors and publishers. No unauthorized use or duplication is permitted. Today's first article is titled, Goodbye Senior, Hello Older Adult, by Joseph Bassani. Then an article by Alyssa Lubcat, Another Blow to the Return to Offices, Everyone's Got Allergies. Then Mark Siegel has an article, My Father Helped Put Men on the Moon. Jason Altmaier wrote an article, The IRS Wants to Prep Your Taxes. And we'll do one by Joe Queenan. Could honesty about the food be on the menu? So let's begin with the first article, Goodbye Senior, Hello Older Adult. And all these articles are from recent editions of the Wall Street Journal. High school teacher Kariana O'Malley recently asked her students an age-old question. What age is old? Brace yourself if you were born in the 20th century. 35, one student said. 72, said another. One kid said 46, said O'Malley, which struck her as very specific. He was like, that's just what I think. The exercises are part of a new effort in the nation's largest school district to teach teenagers how to relate to older Americans. The youngsters are watching videos of their elders doing yoga hanging out with them, and learning how to talk to them without using the old age labels baby boomers hate. Goodbye, senior. Hello, older adult. The curriculum is being tested at 13 New York City public high schools for the first time this semester, including at the School for Human Rights in Brooklyn. Teen Amani Stanback said the lessons have made her more patient with her grandma, who recently activated closed captioning on her TV but couldn't figure out how to turn it off. She was like, I don't know why I'm struggling so much, Stanback said. I said, it's fine. I felt old in the past few weeks, emphasized the teen, who was recently around six-year-olds who sang TikTok songs she didn't recognize. The new curriculum sprang from high school students who were interns at New York City's Department of Aging two years ago, said Commissioner Lorraine Cortez Vasquez. The interns pointed out how evil characters in children's movies often are gray and appear old, such as Cruella de Vil, the Disney villain who cloaks herself in dog fur and a plume of cigarette smoke. The schools in the current pilot will give feedback later this summer, and the aging department will consider tweaks for the next school year. Cortez Vasquez said the goal is to add aging lessons for even younger students. Natasha Jack, principal at the School for Human Rights, said yes to the curriculum, which is being incorporated into economics, so students are talking about how ageism relates to personal finance and employment. Organizers hope children will grow up to dispel stereotypes and fight age discrimination in the workplace. Jack added her own spin to it, a podcast. 
In a recent class, students who are mostly 17 years old took turns at the mic. One teen said some managers at the restaurant chain where he works as a part-time cashier don't take him seriously, and he has heard customers call him a cute kid. Another student said she asked her mom about credit cards, only to be told she was too young for the conversation. A few said their older relatives rely on them to figure out how to pay for groceries with Apple Pay or order a ride on Uber. Chayil Charge said the class taught her the phrase elderly can also be considered a no-go. I didn't know it was a bad thing, she said the 17-year-old, who learned the word evolves, evokes frailty. Now I know. She's evolved in other ways. I thought 60 and up was very old, she said, but the class really changed my mind. As part of the course, the principal wanted to take the students to a nursing home. Could we not, responded Dr. Toby Abramson, the Director of Mental Health Initiatives at the New York City Aging Department, who helped design the curriculum. If you take students only to see that, that's what they're going to think is aging, Abramson said. Instead, the class plans to visit one of the city's senior centers, which were rebranded Older Adult Centers about two years ago. Senior is a loaded term, said Cortez Vasquez, the aging commissioner. At the centers, students might see a 60-something take Tai Chi and then head to work, Abramson said. O'Malley played the class an AARP video in which young adults in a studio are asked to imitate older people doing tasks such as calisthenics. They feigned slow gates and half-baked jumping jacks. Then, real-life older people come out in the film and prove them wrong, including one who does a boat pose while perched on a yoga block with her body forming a V as she lifts her legs above her hips. A younger man, decades younger, couldn't do it. The class was shocked. One topic off limits is the age of the teacher. She is 35. Curious students try to suss out the number by asking what songs were popular when she was growing up. O'Malley hasn't told them, saying she doesn't want them to judge her. If I say I'm a certain age, she told them, you might think I may not know about something because I'm a certain age. And now, another blow to the return to offices, everyone's got allergies. The most miserable allergy season in recent memory is filling offices with a symphony of coughs, sneezes, and sniffles. The pollen has tormented employees and any co-workers within earshot as they constantly sniffle and interrupt presentations and meetings with coughing and sneezing fits. Samantha Santos, a 35-year-old New Yorker, says she runs into her office bathroom sometimes to hide her coughing attacks. Coughing and sneezing is not so office etiquette, said Santos, the chief of staff for a team of real estate agents. She had to mute herself on a call with an apartment renter this spring because she couldn't stop coughing. After her coughs subside, she said she follows a new norm in a COVID-19 world reassuring her co-workers she isn't contagious. She keeps a stockpile of COVID tests at home and takes one whenever she feels sick. 
Don't worry, she tells colleagues. I just took a test. Doctors said seasonal allergies started early this year because the mild winter made trees release pollen ahead of schedule. Pollen levels vary across the country, but typically peak from April to June. A study published in the journal Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences in 2021 found that the North American pollen season starts earlier and lasts longer than it did in 1990 with higher concentrations of pollen. Pilar Williams, a 42-year-old insurance contractor in Chicago, said her allergy symptoms often flare up on her morning walk to the train. She gets a runny nose and itchy eyes, but there is one thing that helps, she said. She has eyelash extensions and skips the mascara. When she gets to work, she has to deal with everyone else's allergies. Especially because of the whole COVID situation, it's like, oh my God, cover your mouth, Williams said. If she hears someone coughing near the office printer, she added, she will wipe it down. I think I've always been a little bit extra when it comes to people coughing and sneezing in the office, she said. But after COVID, it puts you on edge. Like, who wants to be sick? Flying cough droplets are giving workers another reason to work from home. Return to office plans have stalled in the United States, and many companies have settled into hybrid work models. Bill Edwards, a 50-year-old New Yorker, said he goes into the office every day. He has started work calls lately by assuring his colleagues he just has allergies. It's hard to disguise that you're not feeling some sort of symptoms when your voice goes out, said Edwards, an executive vice president at a real estate company. He said he's been chugging water to soothe his stroke. People might think I have a water problem, he said. Making matters worse, shoppers across the United States have reported that allergy remedies are in short supply at their local pharmacies. First-time allergy sufferers are helping to create a run on cough drops, decongestants, and antihistamines. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention said Americans spend more than $3 billion every year on medications and other costs linked to allergies. Aaron Fritsch, 38 years old, said he brings all sorts of allergy treatments to his job as a product engineer, including Sudafed, Benadryl, ibuprofen, and cough drops. I've got everything this year. It's crazy, says Fritsch, who lives in Antioch, California. He said he had to leave the office early one day this allergy season because his symptoms and subsequent migraine were overwhelming. He left his project that day printing logos on stainless steel bottles to a co-worker. In New York, Santos said she has been popping plenty of cough drops in recent weeks. I have the Ricolas on repeat, she said. Allergies have given new meaning to the term congested commute. On one trade ride, a fellow passenger asked Santos, who was wearing a mask, why she was there if she was sick. She explained it was allergies. The city is making me feel sick, she said. While Santos is sneezing away, she still cringes when someone coughs nearby. She's ready for the pollen to disappear. It's the worst, she said, and I can't wait for it to be over. And now Mark Siegel, my father helped put men on the moon. My 99-year-old father, Bernie, 
is a long-retired aeronautics engineer who worked on the Apollo moon landings for American Bosch Armor Corporation, a subcontractor for Northrop Grumman. My father was responsible for quality control involving the lunar excursion module, which stayed stable in flight using simple gyros rather than advanced computers or artificial intelligence. He was amazed when he learned of recent space flight advances. What we did with the LEM was crude compared to what they are doing now, but there are still essential similarities. Dad worked on a system known as CWEA, short for Caution and Warning Electronics Assembly. The idea was, was to let the astronauts on board know they had a problem. It monitored all of the instruments on the LEM. There were a lot of parameters. If everything worked, fine. If any of them went out of spec, it gave a caution. If they went too far, it issued a warning. CWEA helped save the crew of Apollo 13 when the LEM and its safety features brought the faulty Saturn rocket safely back to Earth after an oxygen tank on the command and service module exploded. It was my father's proudest moment as an engineer. His group received a national citation about which he's humble. My work was just a small part of what happened. Fast forward 53 years and Jeff Bezos' Blue Origin has been chosen by NASA to develop a moon lander potentially for use this decade. The Blue Moon Lander will be used for NASA's Artemis Exploration Program with manned use planned for Artemis 5 in 2029. Elon Musk's SpaceX already has the contract for the lunar landing module known as Starship Human Landing System for the unnamed Artemis 3 and the manned Artemis 4. The SpaceX Starship is a unibody construction in which the whole ship will land while the Blue Moon lander is modular, like the Apollo LEM, with a lower propulsion unit and a logistics stage on top that can be used either as a cargo platform or a pressurized crew module. My father said the Apollo LEM was far too cramped and called the 52-foot, four-legged Blue Moon lander a big improvement. He was fascinated to learn that Blue Origin beat a competing proposal from Northman Grummick. Now that's a mistake, he said. Grumman has done it before and knows what they are doing, and their experience will help save on costs. When he heard the new lander contract is worth $3.4 billion, whereas the original LEM cost NASA some $50 million, which is around $425 million in today's dollars, he laughed. They don't worry about money. It's only our money. And now, the IRS wants to prep your taxes by Jason Altmaier. I have long supported efforts to ensure the Internal Revenue Service has the tools necessary to perform its two essential functions, responsible tax collection and enforcement. Now that Congress has finally done so in the Inflation Reduction Act, the IRS is seeking to expand its remit to include tax preparation. This is a mistake. 
Former Commissioner Charles Reddick estimated that America's tax gap, the amount the United States loses annually in unpaid taxes, has grown to an astonishing $1 trillion in 2021. A previous IRS estimate found that $441 billion in taxes had gone unpaid in the three years between 2011 and 2013. The Inflation Reduction Act's cash infusion was designed to address this uptick in tax losses. The IRS should be devoting its new resources to rebuilding its capacity to close the tax gap. Instead, the unpopular agency appears to be diverting its attention to creating an IRS-run electronic tax filing system, which the agency argues will improve taxpayers' overall experience. It's doing so despite the proven ability of private firms and nonprofits to perform this service and despite the lack of public support for the IRS assuming this role. In the Inflation Reduction Act, Congress gave the IRS $15 million to explore consumer attitudes towards an agency direct file system. An independent third party was to report on the overall feasibility, approach, schedule, cost, organization design, and internal revenue service capacity to deliver such a direct e-file tax return system. When the Mitri Corporation, M-I-T-R-E, which operates the Treasury Department's federally funded research and developmental center, studied the issue in 2022, it found little public appetite for such a system unless the IRS could also prepare state returns and more complicated federal ones. Yet this May, the IRS released a new study it had commissioned from New America, an organization that has long supported the creation of an IRS direct file system. Not surprisingly, the study concluded that a potential direct file system might create opportunities to ease the tax, the burden of tax filing for Americans. The House Ways and Means Committee and the IRS have had a long track record of collaborating to keep the agency aware of the American people's concerns. This collaboration has inspired such returns as the electronic return system, mid-year tax refund programs, increased taxpayer rights, and accountability measures. The IRS must continue to collaborate effectively with lawmakers to find the best way forward. If Congress wants to help low and moderate income tax filers prepare their taxes, it should reallocate resources for the Volunteer Income Tax Assistance Program while supporting other nonprofit tax preparers. It shouldn't allow the IRS to take on this redundant task that could distract it from its essential function of maximizing revenue. This is especially true given that the proposed new system would still require private and profit and nonprofit systems to assist with filing state returns. Focusing on the long-neglected collections and enforcement process should be the priority for the IRS, not entering into the tax preparation business, which is already functioning well. And now Joe Queenan's could honesty about the food be on the menu. 
When I visit a restaurant and inquire about an offering on the menu, I am accustomed to being told that my selection is one of the very finest things the establishment has to offer, that it is one of the waitress's personal favorites, and that I am to be congratulated for making such a wise decision. Always and everywhere, the hype machine is in high gear. Once a waiter in an upscale eatery on the shores of Lake Erie told me that I would be making a huge mistake if I skipped dessert because we have the finest tiramisu in Cleveland. The tiramisu turned out to be okay. Just okay. Thus I was rocked back on my heels the other day when I visited a busy chain restaurant of no great distinction and the waiter inquired what kind of soup was on offer and was told vegetable, just vegetable, and it's not very good. So instead I had a bland but serviceable garden salad. There were two things that shocked me about the waiter's frank assessment of the soup. One, without any pressure whatsoever, he told me the God's honest truth, something I believed that waitstaff and retail personnel were trained to never do. After all, when was the last time someone told me that the movie was awful, that the elephants never come out of the elephant house, that the shiny royal blue sports jacket I was fingering would look absolutely terrible on someone as pasty-faced as me? When was the last time I was warned that Thursday was karaoke night, that the beach by the hotel had deadly riptides, that those fancy Italian loafers were clearly too narrow for my feet? or that turmeric wouldn't cure anything. I have no way of knowing whether my waiter issued such a draconian judgment because the soup du jour, about the soup du jour, because it was his last day on the job, or because his personal ethical code prohibited him from lying about substandard menus, items on the menu. But I prefer a green shoots theory that right now, at this very moment, all across America, a quiet movement may be underway to stop lying to customers about the quality of the food being served. The croissants were baked three days ago. For best results, I'd stick with the donuts, the bakery clerk might say. Fresh salmon? In this joint? What are you nuts? A waiter might offer. The pool's closed, the jacuzzi is busted, and there's a biker convention in the hotel this weekend, a desk clerk might caution me. What did you expect for $69.95 a night? Admittedly, I may be going slightly overboard in my praise of the candid statement. The vegetable soup in chain restaurants is always awful. The very fact that the eatery is offering it instead of Yankee bean or Manhattan clam chowder or chicken gumbo suggests that the chef isn't even trying. The waiter may have sized me up as a pathetic rube who didn't know the first thing about generic restaurant fare. Maybe he was merely being condescending. But I prefer to think not. I prefer to think that the waiter's jaw-dropping honesty may only be the tip of the interactive information iceberg. In the weeks and months to come, I fully expect to encounter more and more waitstaff, techies and salespeople making brutally honest assessments of their merchandise. Things like this. Don't buy the cell phone insurance. If you read the fine print, you can see that it basically covers nothing. 
The headliner called in sick and her understudy is a dud. Wait till the star gets over COVID before you buy tickets for the play. I don't care what you've heard. Twelve weeks of rigorous Tai Chi are not going to help those bum knees. Try acupuncture. What does he sound like? He was at Woodstock, and he was no spring chicken then. What do you think he sounds like now? That brings us to the end of today's articles. I'm Merrick Schneider, and I'll be back soon with more articles. Thank you for listening.